I want to talk to you tonight. I've really had it on my heart to talk to you about how that faith is the victory. And uh, I, want to, I want to talk about some things about that. Um, man, there's, there's something that just happened in Israel uh, that is such a massive thing. Uh, you know, I'm going to take a couple minutes, if that's okay. You guys want to talk a little bit about end times before we, before we just get into this. So in, in Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9 says this. Let me find it here real quick. It says in verse 11, But Christ being uh, come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. And then it says this, Christ is now a high priest, an eternal high priest. Verse 12, it says, neither by, that word by could be more, probably more accurately translated through, neither by or through the blood of goats and calves, but by or through his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So Jesus, all these Old Testament, you know, when the law was given by Moses, they had all these sacrifices. And, they, and all this blood would be shed. The blood of an animal would be put on the mercy seat in the tabernacle on the earth, and it would literally cover man's sins for a season. But this is saying Jesus now went in to the tabernacle in heaven. It's not made by hands. Jesus made it with his words, like he made, makes everything else, right? He went in there and he put his own blood, the blood that he shed on the cross for you and I, he put that on the mercy seat in heaven. It didn't cover our sins, it erased them, right? That's, we're forgiven. So that, that is the dilemma of every human being. Everybody born into this world because of Adam's sin, they are born in, they are born in sin. They, are, they literally, as they get older and that age of accountability hits, sin revives, they die spiritually. Man was dead and separated from God, right? That's how come Christianity is not a religion, seeing if you could be good enough to be accepted by God. No, no, Christianity is about a relationship. Man could never be good enough. You can't be good enough to be accepted by a holy God. So God sent his own son to die for man since he died in your place, he died in my place. The Bible says he died for the sins of the whole world. Even those that will not receive him and, and that will reject him, their sins, they're still paid for. And the sad thing is, because they reject that and want to just live their own life and they never give their life to Christ, they'll be lost for eternity. They will literally be separated from God. They'll experience the second death, spiritual death. Why? Because they chose to live their own life, right? So we really know about that. So now this verse says this, for if the blood of bulls and of goats, and then it says this, and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Notice it says here, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean. So after the law was given, in Numbers chapter 19, in the first 10 verses, it talks about you will take a red heifer. So there would be a red heifer that would be born. Now they would have to go through a tedious inspection by rabbis, they had to be perfectly red. Everything, inside of their ears, hoofs, everything had to be red. If there was more than one or two 
hairs of a different color, they were disqualified. So since Moses gave the law, there has only been nine red heifers that have ever passed that inspection. And what they would do when they got one, they would the, the priests would go outside the you know go outside the camp, would would cut the throat, would sacrifice this red heifer on an altar, burn it down to ashes. They would gather up these ashes and put them in a container that was considered clean. And there and 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 so they had some ashes, and then they'd look for another one. There's only been nine from Moses to Jesus. Okay? And so they would take the ashes and mix them with water and they would sprinkle the priest and he would be considered clean. Okay? So let me read Numbers 19. Hang with me. This will make sense here in a minute. This is just so thrilling. I was going to wait till Sunday. I can't. You might have to hear it again Sunday if I get excited. I don't know. You guys will live. This is good. So I want you to understand this stuff, you know. This is so important. So in Numbers chapter 19, verse 1, it says, now this is talking about the red heifer. This is where this is at. Because you're thinking, what is the big deal about a red cow? Right? So look at this. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded. This is an ordinance. As long as the law is in place, this is an ordinance. This is the way it is. Now, we as Christians know Jesus fulfilled the law. That's how come, thank God, I never have to slay a red heifer. Right? Right? The red heifer, as you're going to see here, is a type of Christ. Okay? And it says here, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot wherein is no blemish and upon which never came a yoke and you shall give her unto Eliezer the priest that he may bring her forth without the camp and one shall slay her before his face and Eliezer the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. The perfect number of God. The blood of a red heifer. Right? Seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight. Her skin, her flesh, her blood, with her dung shall, be, shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood. Wood. Jesus was cru crucified on a cross. Right? And hyssop. The Passover lamb for the children of Israel, they took the blood, they had the blood within when they ate the Passover lamb, but that wasn't enough. The destroyer was coming to kill the firstborn in Egypt. They said, take the blood, take a hyssop branch, dip it in the blood and apply it to your doorposts to keep the destroyer out. So again, this is another type of the, the, it's another type of Jesus, right? If, if you don't get that one, and then it says this, where's it at? And scarlet, the scarlet thread of redemption, and cast it into the midst of the, bur of the burning of the heifer. So they were to cast these into the midst, so they would get all burnt up with this heifer. Okay. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until the evening. And he that burns her shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe his flesh in water, and she'll be unclean till evening. Now this is what I want you to see. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. Gather them all up in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel. For a water of separation, it is a purification for sin. 
Okay, and then it, it just goes on about that. The red heifer, they would take water for purification, mix some ashes with it. They could sprinkle the priests and it would purify their flesh from sin according to the law. So now they can do sacrifices. Since Jesus, there has been no red heifer. Okay? So to an Orthodox Jew, there is not one rabbi, not one, not one Jew that believes in, that still is under, you know, believes in the law. They all, none of them, all of, or I should say it this way, all of them know they're unclean. There's no red heifer. There's no sacrifice that could clean them. We who are Christians know, no, no, I, I've been made new. I, I don't need the blood of a red heifer, the ashes. I've got Jesus, right? But they don't know that. So in the Talmud, rabbinical prophecies said there would be a red heifer that will come right before Messiah comes. Okay? So, hasn't been any. So this, this guy in Texas, this Christian man, starts breeding red heifers, looking for one that would be perfect, right? The problem is, though, with the laws of this country and all the regulations with agriculture, if you see cows many times, what do you see in their ear? They're a tag. Because they've been inspected, they're tagged, right? Well, the minute, even if they found a perfect one, if it was tagged, guess what? It's not perfect anymore. It would be disqualified because it has a hole in its ear. But then COVID hit. And with all the stuff that went on during COVID, there was a group of red heifers that literally they never came and checked out and tagged. So a bunch of rabbis from the Temple Institute in Israel, because they have, they literally are training all the priests right now. They're already trained, right, to do sacrifices. They're chomping at the bit to do sacrifices. Everything is about building the third temple. They want to build this temple. It's, it's, it's a lot of it's all the utensils have been done. All the clothes that the priests will wear are, are, are done. A lot of the building that's modular has been built, and it's already, but they've had a dilemma. They could never rebuild the temple, and they could never do, do sacrifices and reinstitute all this Old Testament, Old Testament stuff because they're all unclean. They would need a red heifer to do that. So it's kind of a dilemma. And they've all been just praying that a red heifer would come Thursday, five of them, after, after they were inspected by these rabbis in Texas, they flew five of them that were deemed perfect to Israel. They landed in Israel Thursday. So now, guess what? They've got red heifers. Now, okay, great, pastor, whatever. Right? So think about this. It says that... There is going to come a man, he's called the Antichrist, the son of perdition, and he is going to, so here's, here's the dilemma, or here's the progression. There's going to be a catching away of a group of people on this earth. It's called the rapture of the church. Church taken out, and then there's going to be a conflict that is prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Right? Well, as of this year, every nation that will be in that conflict is actually in Israel fortifying itself, ready right now to take out Israel. They hate Israel. All the nations are there right now. So this is like, it's kind of volatile over there, right? Now, you don't hear about this because, especially the next two months, you're not going to hear about it because you're going to hear all about, you know, politics, right? So... 
So there's going to be, right after we're gone, there's going to be a war where all these nations come against this little country that's about the size of New Jersey. And God, see, when the church is out, God owes them seven more years. So the church, we use our authority in the earth right now. We're the body of Christ. But when we're taken out, guess what? It all goes back to Old Testament stuff because God owes the Jews seven more years. We call it the seven-year tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week. And right after that conflict, all these nations in one day are going to be wiped out by God. God is going to protect Israel. I mean, a lot of it sounds like it could be nuclear even because they can't bury their dead for, you know, all this stuff, right? We already know it says the fowls of the air are going to literally clean up. Well, there's all of a sudden, what was it like 10 or 12 years ago? 172 different species of predatory birds started multiplying in Israel, so it's like the cleanup crews there. National Geographic found this out. They're like, wow, this is weird. All, they're all migrating to right here at this place in Israel. So anyway, this battle's going to take place. And at the end of it, see, there's one thing about all these nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. All these nations are part of the Muslim confederate of nations. So the Muslim religion, which is a major deal right now, is going to not be a major deal after that because these armies and something like a percentage of all these Muslim nations are going to be wiped out. And there's going to come a man that's going to set up a seven-year peace treaty in the Middle East. And most likely, we know this man will ultimately, three and a half years into the tribulation period, sit in the temple and proclaim himself as God. So the temple has to be rebuilt so it would make sense that the rebuilding of the temple is going to be part of this. And it's the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount, although it's a massive issue right now, it won't be a massive issue after that battle. So literally, this is all happening. And guess what? I mean, Jeanette and I, like we've told you guys before, the next feast to be fulfilled is Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, the Feast of Trumpets. Guess when it starts? Sunday goes Sunday to Tuesday. That's, that looks like will be the time of the rapture of the church. We just don't know what year, but wow. I mean, we have all these prophecies that are happening, haven't happened in 1900 years, and now Israel becomes a nation. Jerusalem won back. All these things are happening. So anyway, this is no longer a time to play, Right? You know, and, and if you're born again, you're going. Now, I got to tell you, if Tuesday, 6 o'clock in Jerusalem, 10 o'clock here in Omaha hits, and we don't get raptured out of here this year, I'm going to look at her. We're, she's going to look at me. We're going to go, okay, I think we may have another year. But guys, with everything that's happening, with this even, it's interesting. So anyway, that's the red heifer thing. Everybody's talking about it, so now you kind of know about it. Okay, you guys good? You okay? So can we, can we negotiate maybe that this was not part of my sermon so I get that extra 18 minutes, right? No, I'll go faster, but it's all good. It's all good. Anyway, why do we teach on end times here? Listen, we teach on it for one reason. It's to comfort you and it's to accelerate you so that you keep your eyes on the fact that Jesus, he's our everything. You want to walk out his plan for your life. Amen? Amen. Well, let's talk about faith. Because faith pleases God. It's impossible to please him without it. So turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Isn't it amazing how simple Bible prophecy is? You know, when you just explain it, you're like, oh, wow, that, that makes sense. It says here, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, as I say every time, you're not a whatsoever. 
It's the Greek word pas. It means whosoever. Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. This, this word overcomes is the Greek word nikeo. It means you overcome because you've been given delegated authority. And we know Jesus gave us delegated authority in his name. So, and we overcome, it says the world, it's the Greek word cosmos, it means the world system, the system of this world. Whoever's born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. Now this, this word victory is the Greek word Nike, you've probably heard of that before, right? Tennis shoes. Nike, it means victory, it means, actually it could mean successful victory. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. What is it? Even our faith. Verse 5, who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believes, this word believes means he that has faith in, he that trusts that Jesus is the Son of God. It is impossible to overcome the world system if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the thing. This is not a flippant word, believe. We have to bring this word out because of the nature of the modern church in America. It doesn't mean, well, you know what, I believe. I believe that Jesus is God. But then... I live my life the way I want. I do what I want. I do. That's not this word believe. This word believe means I believe, I believe it so strongly that I'm willing to commit my life to it. So see, we're living in a time when there's a lot of people that think, oh, I go to church, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, I'm a Christian. Well, have you ever believed that? See, when you believe something in your heart, you believe it so strongly that you're willing to commit your life to it. Now, does that mean you're flawless and you never make a mistake? No, no, no. No, we're human. There's provision for that in the word. But to be born again, you have to believe it in your heart to the point where you're willing to commit your life to it, to where you confess with your mouth, Jesus you are not only Lord of all, but today I declare you're my Lord. Right? That's how a person gets born again. Right? So this is saying, but who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The amplified version of this verse, of verse 4, it says, for everyone, I love this because it brings out the Greek a little clearer, for everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world. Our continuing, this is the parenthetical definition right here, our continuing persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Continuing persistent faith. We don't have faith events we walk by faith, we live by faith, right? So that's, that's what this is talking about. So in other words, we who are born again have victory over the system of this world. We have victory over the situations and circumstances of our life. God wants you to walk victorious. That's how come he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, listen, I always cause you to triumph. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, right? Or he who always gives me the victory through Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, who always causes me to triumph in Christ. That's why it says that, because you're born of God. We have victory. God wants you to walk in victory. What is the victory? Faith is the victory. Well, now wait a minute. See that that you gotta you gotta renew your mind to this. Because, like my son and I went to watch the Kansas City Chiefs, right, play the Los Angeles Chargers, and 
the victory was because the Chiefs scored more points at the end of the game than the Chargers, right? So the victory came at the end, but that's not the way it is for us. Faith is the victory, the Bible says. In other words, the victory is not when it's over. The victory is the faith that came at the beginning. you got to get this, because otherwise Satan's going to put your everything in time, and, and faith is now. The victory is not when the sickness or disease has left your body, and you're no longer in pain, and you're no longer suffering. No, no, no. The victory is at the beginning, when you hear God's word that says, I sent my word and healed you. I bore your sickness and carried your pain. Do you see that? This is so important. In other words, you are to have your victory now. That's why when you're in faith, you're full of joy. Because you're fully persuaded. Yeah, but look at the mess of your life. And you're like, yeah, whatever. God said. Hide and watch. All that's going to change. Yeah, but look at your body right now. No, God said. Keep looking at my body and you'll get real happy when you see me walk free and whole and healed, right? But, but right now, I know faith is in my heart. I know I have it. I know I'm going to walk. I know I'm going to see. I know I'm going to hear. I know the tumor is going to leave. I know, right? Why do I know that? Because God said. Everything unseen will line up with the faith that you started with. Because our faith is built on what God said. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Right? So if you start with victory, like tonight, you decide to believe you receive something that God said he's given you. You come into this room and you're like, man, my finances are a disaster. And you find out that God has literally, he's Jehovah Jireh. He's already provided all the finances for you to have an overflowing supply for your life and to help others. You find that out and you're like, okay, I believe I receive that for it is written, it is written, it is written. I believe, so I get in the faith. So in other words, I start this deal with victory. And then through faith and patience, see, I seize hold of the promise and I never let it go. So I start with victory and I stay with victory, right? That's how it works. If you start in victory and stay with victory, you will have the victory on the, in the seen realm. Because everything unseen has to line up with the scene. Everything unseen will cause the scene to line up with it. The truth of God's word will change all the facts of your life. This is so important. So I said this to the men when we were teaching Tuesday morning. I said the greatest power of a testimony is not when it's over. The greatest power of the testimony is before you see anything. So you need to testify to yourself. Right? My testimony declares what has already been done for me through Christ's redemption, which cannot ever be changed. Isn't that powerful? So, faith is the victory. So how does faith come? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes, so, so then faith cometh by, it's, it's the Greek word ek. There's a couple words by in this verse, and they're different Greek words. So then faith comes by. It's the Greek word ek, ek. It means faith comes 
out of, out of, or it originates from hearing. It comes out, the best way to say that is, now faith comes out of hearing. And hearing, now this word hearing, it's, it literally denotes that you have made a decision where you have come, to, in order to hear, this Greek word means that you have already made a decision that I've come here and I reverence, honor, and respect that word above everything else in my life. And I'm not coming here to decide whether or not I'm going to do it. I've, I'm, come, I'm submitted to it. So if it says that I'm going to do it, when you get in that position, you're going to start hearing. And hearing, it talks about, it, it's hearing. You literally hear God on the inside of you saying, Tony, I bore your sickness. I carried your pain. I redeemed you from arthritis. I redeemed you from, right, cancer. I've redeemed you from this or that, right? I've, be, I've redeemed you from being paralyzed. I've redeemed, right, that's, you hear that on the inside of you. Faith comes when you hear that. Not, see, see, many come to the word of God, you're either coming to listen. Listen means I'm gonna hear what he's got to say, may believe it, may not, may do it, may not. You're just listening. The Bible says a person that does that actually gets self-deceived. It doesn't produce anything. But when you come to hear, God, I'm coming to church tonight and I'm, I reverence you, I honor you, I'm, lay, I'm, I'm here, speak to my heart. Man, that person will hear some things, yeah. right? So then faith comes by hearing or out of hearing and then it says, and hearing, or you could say it this way, and hearing comes by the word of God. Now this word by is the word dia, it's a different word in the Greek. It means through. And hearing comes through. It also means because of the word of God. So faith comes out of the fact that I'm hearing. But hearing, now we're going deeper, hearing's coming because of the word of God. In other words, the faith of God can only, become, it can only come by hearing God, by hearing God's word. That's how come you can't just go, you know, I think I want to have a $40 million estate in, you know, in Laguna, South Laguna in California in Jesus' name. Well, you could, you could believe God for that if he speaks that to your heart, but you can't just make that up, Right? See, faith begins where the will of God is known. Do you see how even faith is tied to intimacy with him? He wants you to just be intimate with him. See, to me, it's not exciting. It's exciting. It's not as exciting when you see the answer. It's absolutely thrilling when you hear his voice. And you stand in the middle of all hell breaking out with no hope for it in the natural for it to ever happen. And yet you're standing there going, I'm fully persuaded. I have it. And that pleases God because he's like, look at that. My son, my daughter doesn't have to see anything to believe it. They just are fully persuaded that I will perform what I've already given them. It's so exciting. Right? So literally, then you could read this verse, so then faith comes out of or originates from hearing. And hearing comes by or comes through the spoken word of the anointed one. In the manuscripts, it says word of God. It's in, in, in the literal manuscripts, it's the word of Christ, the, the word of the anointed one. In other words, faith comes by hearing the very voice of the anointed one, Jesus. His spirit on the inside of you speaks. What, what does that look like? The Holy Spirit takes from him, Jesus, and he gives it to you. Well, who's Jesus? He is the word of God. 
and the Holy Spirit, because you've made a decision to meditate in these scriptures, you start speaking them, and now the Holy Spirit is able to take of Jesus and give it unto you. And how he does it by he opens the words of Jesus to you. And when the word opens, it, it brings light. The entrance of his word brings light. This is how you know the voice of God. This is how you're led. The word is a lamp to your feet. It's a light to your path. It's, you, you can't be stressed and hear these things. In other words, you're created and have the honor to be one with God and to walk with him and to walk in him and allow him to walk in you. It's amazing. The result of hearing those words causes us to come to know something about him. Through hearing words from him, we get to know his person. We get to know his integrity, right? We get to know his power. We get to know his faithfulness through hearing him. In the same way, right? So if you two are hanging out, right? If Alicia and Kiara are hanging out, you're going to really get to know each other as you talk to each other, right? As you hear words about Alicia, you gain knowledge of her everything, of who she is. Same way with God. This is why some people will tell you, you know, yeah, I know. They, they have all these ideas about the Bible. Well, I just don't believe that. You know, I just don't believe God's that way. You, you feel like saying, well, how would you know? You, you're not meditating in his word. There's no way you could, you wouldn't know God if he walked right by. Because you've never talked to him. You've never heard him talk to you. Right? Has God ever said in his word, well, I don't think I'm going to heal you. I have, a, I have a different plan. Then why in the world would we preach that? But that, that, that gets preached. Right? Well, God does something for one person, but he won't do something for another person. God would never say that. His word, he says, I, I'm the same for everybody. I never change. My faith in him is a result of what I know of him, what I've heard from him, and what I've heard of him. That's how my faith comes. My faith in him is a result of what I know of him, what I've heard of him, and here's the big kicker, what I've heard from him. That's where my faith comes. I don't fake that. You don't fake faith. That's how come if you, when, when, when all of a sudden something happens and you mo get moved, realize, not in faith. Don't think you're in faith, because if you, if you buy that lie of the enemy, then you're going to start wondering why God's allowing this. Man, I've been believing him. I'm mad at God. Well, do you know how many people have lived on this planet that have, that have gotten in faith and stayed in faith and didn't get the answer? that God promised them? You know how many? Not one. You've never met a person. Now, you might have met a lot of people that have gotten in faith and let it go. I've been there. Here, and, and realize you're not playing. This isn't a board game. So if you let it go, don't think you've got to go back to step one and God's going to make you do this, 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 and you've got to come up. No, no, just hook the trailer back up. Remember, all this stuff has been given to you already. Does that make sense? And God wants you to have everything. So now, let's keep going with this a little bit. But the righteousness, Romans chapter 10, verse 6. Man, it's already 8.02. Hmm. Let's go through this. Take our time. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise... In other words, the righteousness which is of faith speaks this way. Every one of us that are born again, we've been made righteous by how? Through faith. How does that righteousness speak? Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. 
In other words, believing in Jesus means you don't ever look for him to come down, come back to earth, and do anything. Now, you'd say, well, why would you say that? Because this is where people miss it, especially in the realm of healing. People are looking for God to heal them. And that's not faith, because God already provided healing for them when Jesus was on the cross. Does that that mean, right? That's why it doesn't say that. Romans 10, 7. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. The righteousness which is of faith does not speak this way. But what saith it? Verse 8. What does the righteousness which is of faith, what does it say? The word is near thee. It never says, well, you just will never know. No, it says the word's near you. Where is it? I'm so glad you asked. Right? It it, it goes backwards. Even in your mouth and in your heart. Right? That is the word of faith which we preach then it's going to give us an example of this. So the, to be in faith, you have to believe God's word in your heart and confess it out of your mouth. Do you see that? So simple. That if you shall confess with your mouth, now do you see how it's, it, it's, it's going? It's in your mouth. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, it's a little vague in the King James. Basically, you're confessing with your mouth Jesus You are my Lord. That's literal Greek translation. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What? So am I saved when I confess with my mouth? Do you notice how I confess with my mouth Something that I believe in my heart. I have to confess with my mouth that, I, that Jesus, you are my Lord, before he's my Lord. I've got to confess with my mouth that I'm healed before I'm healed. I've got to confess with my mouth that I'm prosperous and that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me before I can do all things through Christ. Do you see that? This is faith. Boy, this, boy, it's just making it simple, isn't it? Simple, I love. I live in simple. This is good. That's how we get saved. That's how you receive everything. In other words, when you say, Jesus, you're my Lord, before he's your Lord, you're calling those things which be not as though they were, which is exactly the language of faith. See that? So simple. And yet that's what Satan is trying to separate you from. He wants you looking at your circumstances and getting all bummed out because you see this is just not working. Right? Because if he could separate you from your faith, you can't, you li- it literally ties God's hands. He can't perform that which he's already given you. When you understand that this is a word planet. It was created by words. Whose words? God's words. It's a word planet. Words govern it. When you go to a doctor and you get diagnosed with depression and you say, I have depression, do you realize that you just empowered that demonic spirit to bring depression into your life. That's why you have to call those things which be not as though they are. You got to see this. When your son or daughter is diagnosed with ADHD and you say, my daughter or my son has ADHD. Guess what you're doing? 
you are empowering the powers of darkness to bring that to pass in your, in your child's life. What? Yeah. This is how it works. Satan knows this. That's why God says, let the weak say they're strong. Why? Because if you say you're weak, guess what? You're empowering it. Right? Satan throws thoughts, like right now, teenage girls in America, the suicide rate is almost going straight up. And this is what happens. Satan throws a thought in a person's mind, you should kill yourself. The world would be a better place without you. And if that person starts walking around going, I have suicidal thoughts, guess what they're doing? They're, they're literally bringing power to this power of darkness. But if they say, no, I reject that. I have a sound mind. I, my, I reject that. Jesus bore my sickness and carried my pain. I reject it, right? If we would start speaking the language of faith, we put ourselves in a position. How serious is this, guys? This is monumental, right? For why? Look at this, verse 10. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Do you know that word salvation means confession is made unto healing? Confession is made unto wholeness. Confession is made unto prosperity. You go right down the list. So jump over to 2 Corinthians. I want you to see the saying part here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to go a little faster for time's sake. Because you're going to want to listen to this again. And again and again. It becomes better the more you listen to it. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. Now Paul is going to quote the Hebrew scriptures, Psalm 116, verse 10. As it is written, I believed, look at this, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Faith always believes and speaks. If you're you're not in faith, you're not going to speak. The language of defeat is silence. Don't ever, let, don't ever let Satan shut your mouth. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, you never let him shut your mouth. I don't care if you're laying in a bed and you're, you're paralyzed, you get a couple of your friends, lift my arms. Father, I thank you that I'm healed and I'm strong and I'm whole. For it is written, it is written, it is, right? You're never going to silence me. People will laugh. People will think, well, Tony's lost it. Right? People laugh at this kind of preaching. Yet, it's all over the book. I thank God when I stand before the Lord, I am never going to have to worry when all this teaching on faith and all this stuff, it put fire to it, Jesus. Because, man, that crown is going to shine for eternity of how you moved in my life. It's not going to be about me. Because I can't even preach this stuff unless I'm sent. I love it. He's so good. Speaking God's word brings his presence and his power into every situation you face. So think of it like this. When you're confessing the word, you are inviting the very power and presence of God to work on that situation. It'll change the way you talk about yourself. It'll change the way you talk about your husband or wife. It'll change the way you talk about everything. It'll change the way you talk about your kids. We walk by faith. We speak out of what we believe, and this brings victory into our lives. So now I'll become a sound man. Your speaker, 
much must be hooked up to your believer. Right? And that's about the extent of my sound. Ryan would not even let me back there. I'd start pushing buttons and just freak everything out. But I know this about it. Your speaker better be hooked up to your believer. Right? So let's look at, let's look at Mark chapter 11. Because this is the best teaching, the, the most simple teaching on the operation of faith, how it works. Right? Jesus curses the fig tree. They go into Jerusalem. They walk back by the fig tree at the end of the day to go back to Bethany. Nothing changed. They spend the night over there in Bethany hanging out with Lazarus. They get up the next morning and they start going back to Jerusalem. And Peter looks at the fig tree and goes, Whoa, Lord, the fig tree that you cursed is dried up from the root. And then verse 22, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. You could translate this this way. Have the faith of God. You could translate it this way. Have the faith that God has. And then now, he's going to start talking to them. Have the faith of God. Have faith in God. You got to think about this. You got to meditate in this one. Faith is something that you have. It is not something that you get. Okay, I'll just say law, think about that one. To have faith, all you have to do is hear and believe God's word. That's all you have to do. Satan will always tell you that you just need more faith. Well, if you just had more faith, then you could get your answer. And, and you know, if you just come to church for 30 more years and put up with all the stuff for 30 more years that I'm, I'm doing in your life, then maybe you'll have enough faith to be able to lay hold of these things. Hmm. The Bible, in other words, never tells you to get more faith. There's not one verse about that. It tells you to use the faith that you have. Isn't that interesting? Satan's always, how many of you have had that thought? Man, if I just had more faith. And you'll sit here and go, man, if I could just confess, if he could just slow down for three minutes and so I could write that confession down that he just said, I could have more faith and I could get the answer. Just listen to the CD, right? You could slow me down. But I gotta tell you, Learning that confession is not going to get you more faith. It's going to help you use the faith that you already have. The Bible doesn't talk about, well, I shouldn't say that. The Bible does mention one time where it talks about the amount of faith, right? The only place in the New Testament it talks about the amount of faith, and it uses a mustard seed. Have you ever seen one? I mean, you can hardly see it, right? It looks like a sliver that you, like a little sliver you got in your finger. But, but literally, in the story, the smallest amount of faith produces the biggest results. It's not about how much faith. It's about how strong you stand in faith, and you don't stand in your own strength, though. You be strong in the Lord. In other words, it's not about the amount, it's about strength. Okay? And how strong are you? I can't answer that question because I don't know how strong God is. Because you have God on the inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 6.10 tells you, be strong in Him. Isn't that good news? It's not the use I'm sorry, it is the use, it's not the size of faith that matters. Use your faith, believe, your, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and stop speaking your, what you're seeing, what you're feeling, what it's looking like, because it's bringing death into your life. So simple. Faith does not come by measure. When we got saved, God gave all of us the measure of faith, a measure of his faith. But faith 
after that does not come by measure. You know how faith comes? It comes by choice. You can start developing and growing your faith by choice. You, all you have, what do you have to choose to do? I got to choose to get in the book. I got to choose to put it first. When we get to heaven, we're going to see all this stuff. You know, we're all sitting here, and this is all based on God. God's like, I gave you everything. It's all based on what you want to do. How much do you want to know God? He, he's like, here I am. I'll let you get to know me as well as you want to. Do you think that Jesus picked Peter, James, and John? No. Peter, James, and John picked Jesus. Because Jesus was no respecter of persons. All right. That's verse 22. You ready for 23? This is talking about faith against something. Now he's going to explain this faith of God as you're standing when unfruitful things in your life come against you. He says, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, here's the kicker, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he will have whatever or whatsoever he saith. Wow. So, so the Bible is telling you, you will have what you say. Do you see that? So let's, let's look at this in the words of two or three witnesses, in the, in the mouths of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Let's go to Numbers 14, 28. Let's look at another one that says the same thing. Numbers 14, 28, God says, and he's talking to, to Moses to tell the children of Israel this. He says, say unto them, as truly as I live, so that statement, as truly as I live, that would be considered an oracle of God, a never-ending, unchanging law, as long as God's alive, which will always be, this is the way it will be. As you have spoken in my ears, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Now, when you look at these verbs, in the verb tense of, because the, what, what were they doing? They were basically saying, hey, we can't have what God said he's given us. So in this context, that Hebrew verb, so will I do to you, that was translated in the, in the causative sense, so will I do to you. But in this, that, that verb in the Hebrew language is in the permissive tense. So it would more accurately read, so will I as you have spoken in my ears, so will I allow in your life. Right? And he was talking to the children of Israel. But in other words, you're going to have what you say. You ready for another one? Let's jump back to the New Testament. John chapter 15, verse 7, says the same thing. You're going to have what you say. You're going to have what you say. If I stood up here and said that 150 times... You guys, for a while, we'd feel a little uncomfortable, but after a while, people would start going, wow, I'm going to have what I say. Do you see that? And Satan wants you to speak all kinds of junk over your life so he could bring it into your life. John 15, 7, if you abide, right? Now, this word abide, it means to dwell continually. It, this Greek word it literally involves something that you do with your mind. That's what this Greek word is talking about. Abiding involves literally being consciously aware of God's indwelling presence in your life. If you abide in me, what does that mean? I keep my mind stayed on him. I constantly live in a position I live here. I don't leave. I'm constantly aware in my mind of his indwelling presence in my life. And my words abide or dwell continually in you. You shall ask, 
Now this word ask, remember, for a New Testament believer, all this stuff is done already. That word ask, it's the Greek word aito. It literally means if you will call for, require, or make a demand for what you will, and it shall be done unto you. In other words, you will have what you call for, what you require, what you make a demand for. Why would that be true? Because when you allow your mind to be stayed on him, you will only ask things in line with his will. In other words, God says, you ask and, and you'll have what you say. Wow. See, God deals with us on the basis of his word and our confession. There's a connection between what you say and what you have in your life. You and I can never rise above our confession. God deals with us on the basis of his word and our confession. That's how he deals with us. So every one of us say, wow, God, I just literally, give me the grace to say what you say, right? Give me the grace to say what you say. Father, today I declare that I am strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, right? It gives me the strength, the ability to say what he says. You want another one? Let's just do one more. Same thing. Matthew 12, 37. For by your words, you will be justified. That means you will be pardoned and set free. And by your words, you will be condemned. That means you'll be sentenced and you'll be taken away and incarcerated. In other words, you'll have what you say. Wow. So what do we do? We know our enemy. We secure God's word. We maintain a pure heart by keeping our eyes on him. And we resist doubt and fear. That's how we walk by faith. See, you can't speak the problem and be in faith. You've got to speak God's answer. Right? You cannot be worried and depressed about something and be in faith. It's impossible. Faith won't move anything until it moves you. Right? What is the first thing that faith will move when faith comes? It will move your mouth. Thank God. When I walk by faith, man, because I got this flesh to deal with, right? I mean, have you, ever, have you ever just went, you know what, God? I mean, I told God this when I was a younger man. I'm like, God, come on. I'm just tired of always having to be in faith. And then you just hear this down on the inside of you. Tony, you're not in faith. What are you talking about? You don't even know how to be in faith. Right? It's like, Peter, oh, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus is preaching. Lord, increase our faith. Like, and then Jesus is like, well, if you had faith. What did he say there? If you had faith, you would say. Hebrews 10.23, look at what it says here. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast. That means to seize hold of what? The profession of our faith. It's the Greek word profession is the Greek word homo logeo. It means let us seize hold of saying the same thing that God says. Without wavering for he is faithful that promised. See, in other words, you need a word to hold on to. So many people are trying to grab hold. They try to grab hold of a song. Because it moves them a little bit. No. Now, if you, like tonight, you could grab hold of a song that's, that's preaching the word. Right? Because now you, you need a word to grab onto. So if the song doesn't have a word, forget it. 
But you need to learn three words. It is written. And you need to be speaking them. Whatever you're facing right now, get two or three scriptures that tell you what God says he's given you and you keep those in your mouth all the time. The pressure you face while believing God for anything is the pressure to get you to let go of the word. Satan is always pressing you to let go of the word. If you're believing God for healing, guys, the pressure is not the pain. It's not the pain. That's not the pressure. The pressure is Satan using the circumstances and the situations to, let you to, to get you to let go of your faith, to separate you from your faith. It's not the pain. It's not the circumstances you're seeing. That's not the, we think that's the pressure because we can see it. I need more money. That's not the pressure. The pressure is the enemy going, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to work this out? What's going to happen? Have you noticed your body hasn't changed? Have you noticed your body got worse? Did you notice you just went to the, you, were, you went to that crazy church over there, you heard that pastor that gets all out of control talking about how you were healed 1,900 years ago before you were even born, and then you go to the doctor and the tumor got bigger. Get away from that guy. That's the pressure. Right? The pressure is family members. You walk in at Christmas and they're like, oh, geez. Right? Here they come. That name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, that Haganite, that Copelandite. No, no, we're Jesusites. Right? You'll never see anything in your life that hasn't come out of your mouth. Things in your life come out of your heart and out of your mouth. Right? Hallelujah. Hmm. There are so many great things. <laughs> Jeremiah 1.12. I'll just close here. We were, it's 8.30. Jeremiah 1.12 is powerful. It says, Then said, said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. That literally means I will watch over my word to perform it. Do you realize God surrenders to everything he speaks? God gives himself to his word. He submits himself to the authority of his word. He watches over it. He's already given us as his children everything that pertains to life and godliness. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. It's all in the unseen realm. And if you'll get in faith and you'll speak the word of God out of your mouth that's in your heart, now it gives God, it, it invites him to come in and now perform that that he already gave you. And that's when things change in this scene realm. Faith is your victory. The moment you hear, by his stripes I was healed, that's your victory. The moment you hear, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. That's your victory. The moment you hear, literally, in righteousness, I'll be established. I'll be far from oppression, for I will not fear, and from terror, because it will not come near me. When you hear, he always gives me the victory. That is, that, that's everything. That's, that is the victory. When you hear his word. Amen?